Welcome to another episode of Three Men in a War Game. And since I screwed it up last time, I'm not going to say anything snarky tonight. All right. My name is Kevin, a.k.a. Chops, and uh, I have a problem buying too many miniatures. Is this where I introduce myself? Yes. Yes. Oh, hey. oh hi. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, go for it, Ray. Yeah. So, hi. How are you doing? I'm taking. Uh, I'm subbing in for the beloved Potter tonight. My name's Ray Flynn from Third Floor Wars. I'm one of the co-founders and uh, the uh, tactics article writer for the website. And I have nothing snarky to say because we have Paul, and he'll take care of that. Oh, right. but I, but I forwent my my. Uh... Give it time. Give it time. Okay. All right. So the first, the first thing to get out of the way here is uh, that we have a tradition on the podcast, and that's talking about hobby progress before we get into our main topic. So I won't put you on the spot, Ray. Uh, I will start in ho- hobby progress. So since the last time we recorded, uh, I have finally received my other side pledge. I'm sure we'll be doing an up episode gushing about the other side soon, since we've now all played it multiple times. But since that is a thing, and I am. Uh, obsessed with playing painted models and in a uh, time crunch to get all my stuff painted for Adepticon, I have been working on my King's Empire models and I have been painting Royal Rifle Corps and will be supplying pictures for Paul to post on the Twitter soon. Awesome. I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I know you've been you've been painting some things and, and you need to make sure you're sending me pictures so I can put them uh, up. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, I wanna... you're our most prolific hobbyist. <laughs> Yeah, I've got I think that means that you haven't done anything, Paul. Um, no, I've done some stuff. Nice. I've done some. What stuff. have you done? I actually have uh, put together some Wild West Exodus stuff because I am now officially signed up for the Wild West Exodus Masters at Adepticon. Nice. Um, so I have two fully painted models for my Warrior Nation. Uh, multiple guys are primed after uh, I get some podcast stuff taken care of tonight. I'm going to paint some more and, and paint over Thanksgiving weekend um, and uh, get some of these, these guys up and going. But I, I have built some since the last time we talked, I put together a fire Eagle, which is a phenomenally detailed model. Um, I forgot to ask Craig last week how to paint feathers. Um, very carefully. Yeah, exactly. So I might have to hit him up and find out how to paint feathers because that model has so much good detail on it. It's it's pretty impressive. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting that together. And then once I, I get my Wild West Exodus stuff to where I feel comfortable with it and it's ready for Adepticon, then I will go back to working on some gibbering hordes for the same purpose because I'll be playing that as well. Look at you, all the things. I know. So many things. Crazy. How about you, Ray? What you working on? Uh, my hobby room. So I recently moved, and uh, I've had to uh, downsize a little bit and get a little creative with my storage space. And so my hobby room is finally got some shelving up in it. But uh, that has not stopped me from doing hobbying because I – uh, put together my other side stuff, which is cheating because it meant I put blue tack on bases and put my models on <laughs> blue tack. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to have to do because uh, all of my painting supplies are still currently packed. Mm. But uh, I got my, uh, I have a uh, ventilation hood coming in for my airbrush. 
And uh, so my first uh, goal is going to hopefully be once uh, I get the hobby room up and running next week, it's going to be start uh, laying some primer down onto my Cult of the Burning Man. All right. Now, let me ask you something with this with this hood thing. I have an airbrush. I don't have a hood. Am I going to die? No. I mean, no. Do you, wear, do you wear a mask when you paint? Not usually. I mean, I haven't used the airbrush much. So, so, so here, like so sneeze colored thing. boogers. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. All joking aside, it's not a good idea to do that. Like, do you huff paint cans? No. So you probably shouldn't be right. airbrushing in a closed environment with nothing going. Yeah, there's there, there's not aerosol, right? So it's not as dangerous and. And, but it's and, it's air, but it's aerated it's, paint. It still is aerated paint, right? Which is not great to ingest. I so I don't have a hood uh, in my room either. But I airbrush through a cardboard box outside a window, and I wear a mask when I airbrush. Okay, so I would, so I would yes, at I'm least recommend. No, you're not going <laughs> to die. But it's kind of like you know those guys when you watch YouTube videos that are like you know don't do what I'm about to do, and then they lick paint off their brush or they lick green stuff, right? And then you're like, why did you tell me to do this and then do it? Like, yeah, unless no. you're sprouting a seventh finger, I don't think I'm gonna just, care. Just go but spend like, the twenty two bucks, Paul. Buy a mask. Yeah, buy a mask. Okay. Uh, don't get, don't do yourself a favor though. You have a beard. This is three beards in a war game, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Technically, it is three beards in a war game. <laughs> you have a beard, so make sure you get a decent mask that'll still seal right. around your beard, because otherwise it, you're defeating the whole thing. Right. I, I sent I, you a picture I, with mine, didn't I? It's just a, I mean, they're, it's a pretty standard paint mask. Yeah, yeah. see, I, I, I deal with uh, PPE stuff for work, so I should know better than no. this, but yeah, so I understand the, you should. the point of the, the mask uh, and, and the beard. Alright, well, I have I have masks for when I work with resin and I'm filing resin, so I mean, at least that's not good. Uh, then, then, yeah, that, just so just wear the same mask when you airbrush, and you're good. Okay, cool. If you if you end up with mesothelioma, we know it. <laughs> yeah, great. That's as long, I guess as long as you're not using asbestos based paint, you're probably <laughs> okay. But you'd probably be fine. But you did, you guys didn't know that's all the rage. That's the best for non metal metallics is asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I heard that, but there's this funny thing that I always get sick after I use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably don't use it anymore. All yeah, right. That's probably not a good thing to joke about. With that with that weird thing out of the way, let's uh let's roll into the main topic. So the main topic for the show is going to be selling other war gamers on games that are interesting to you because the three of us uh, are all we'll call it we'll call each other to be nice multidisciplinarians. We all like different war games and like to have a variety of war games in our rotation. Uh, and given that, it's sometimes hard to sell because a lot of most war gamers play one or maybe one in a, in a side system. Whereas I have anywhere between three and five, what I would call like main games at a time. So if you're going to be trying to sell other war gamers on demos, what we're going to do is we're going to each of us is going to pick three games and we're going to talk about the one feature in each of our three games that we would use to sell another war gamer on that game system. Sound good? I'm gonna, that sounds great. I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of tag on to what you're saying. You know, we're not obsessed. We're not addicted. We just very much subscribe to the philosophy that, you know, Jack of all trades is, you know, you know, master, Jack of all trades, master of none, but better than a master of one. Right. There we go. Agreed. I was I was going to say that we are just renaissance men. We are. Yeah, gaming renaissance men. 
All right. We're, then, obs- uh, we're obsessed. <laughs> I get we, so we, we we've we have uh, before the show compiled our list and we have some overlaps and I think when we have overlap we'll follow each other on those overlapped ones but um, I think I'll kick us off because I uh, have been recently uh, reignited in my love of bushido uh, and I go. I will start by talking about my favorite aspect of bushido and since neither of you guys play bushido this is actually going to be real life practice for me to get you guys to try to (laughs) buy some starter packs for this game all right let's do it i can tell you i'm going to be a really hard sell here you know well (laughs) considering that when ray finally did put down his guard and got into malifaux it was originally i'm only buying the asian themed stuff yep oh well it's all asian themed so here we go I know, right? It's, it's like it was tailor-made for me. All right. So the, the the thing that I use when I'm talking to another war gamer to get them interested in Bushido is how melee exchanges work in this game. And the first thing to understanding melee exchanges is, unfortunately, I have to go up a level and talk about what's what's called a model's condition. So every model starts in what's called a ready condition. And they go from ready to uh, uh, fatigued and from fatigued to exhausted. And you do that in steps. So once you like make a movement, that takes you down a step. And if you attack, it takes you down a step. That makes sense so far. So essentially, if you're smart, all of your models can activate twice per turn. But the thing about melee exchanges and why melee exchanges are so cool in this game is they are both simultaneous and they will they lower the condition of each model participating so so when you attack somebody you will if they are currently fatigued you will lower them to exhausted (laughs) thus ending what they can do for the turn but there's some risk and reward here because again the exchange is simultaneous this isn't like other war games where when it's your turn to attack you attack and you're just going against the opposing model's defense and they just sort of have to sit there and take it in this game, you are both going to attack at the exact same time. Now, the active player has initiative, so their roles will count first, but here's how it works. Every model has a melee statistic, and that melee statistic is, is you know, two or three or four in general. And what that means is that's how many dice you get to bring into the combat. So in a melee exchange, I say I'm attacking your model, and we both pick up dice equal to that stat. Now, the thing is, there are attack dice and defense dice, and both players bring attack dice and defense dice to the game. And when you do a melee exchange, in secret, you take your dice under the table, and you pick your stats worth of dice out, and your opponent doesn't know how many offensive dice and how many defensive dice you're rolling until your dice hit the table. Oh, that's cool. And then how it's resolved is you roll the dice and then you basically roll the attacks and then look at to see if the defenses are better. And then uh, again, on the other side. So the way it works out is you could go into attack and you could actually lose a model. Like you could just die because you could walk into somebody and they rolled all, they, they rolled all offense and you may have not damaged them. And then there a swing back kills your model. Um, conversely, you might both just clang swords together, but at the same time you are, 
reducing that model's ability to take actions further in the turn. So it creates these really tactical situations where you're both looking across the table and trying to get the most advantage that you can over a player. And this becomes especially important because say you exhaust a model, once that model is exhausted, now they're also on a negative one modifier for that how many dice they bring into future combats, which makes ganging up on models especially deadly. Um, so that's my favorite thing about Bushido is that simultaneous melee exchange and the fact that it deeply affects both models involved and it keeps both players involved because both players are making really hard decisions every time there's a combat. I actually do really like that. That would definitely drag me into that game. And I can go into the minutiae about how you calculate success and stuff, but it suffice to say it's, it's, uh, very, very tactical, how many dice you roll and how those things resolve. It's very, very good. Love that. You got my vote. All right. <laughs> Paul, what do you think about I, that particular? Oh, well, I mean, it's 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 certainly unique, right? Because you, you have other games where you have opposed duels, right? Infinity and Malifaux and now the other side. Um, but the... The strike back concept yeah, is normally the not... the fact that you are actually fighting at the same time, right? It's it's not just an opposed duel, right? Like like right. all right, I'm 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 actually shooting at, or I'm punching you too. Um, the act the activeness there is is what intrigues me most about it, right? Because you are being sucked into that fight and you're an active participant in it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna hear me say this probably a couple of times tonight over uh, in relation to this topic. But what I love about it the most is kind of the headcanon concept, where it's like you can really create a narrative story in your head about like this epic duel between these two monsters, and it could be like you know a freaking you know farmer versus like you know a foot soldier. You know, it doesn't even really matter what station it is, but like you know, you kind of get this almost feel of like this epic stare down, you know, uh, Eastern style martial arts kind of the camera panning around both of them at the same time, and who's going to strike first and who's going to counter first, and are they going to end up even? You know, it's like it just kind of creates that kind of feel, and that and absolutely really that. absolutely happens for me every time I play it. Nice. So that's me on Bushido. So I just so that's my I, first game. I, I want to piggy, and I know this is kind of off our three game topic, but cinematic visualization is essential to wargaming to me. Yep. Right. You, Agreed. That has 100%. to be a thing. You have to be able to see more than just the, the plastic model, and maybe that's why I'm I'll never win a tournament that. because to me, it's more than just math. I'm going to modify that slightly. Okay. Go for I'm it. just I'm just ever so slightly. Okay. I'm going to say that that cinematic actualization matters now. Like, I don't think it mattered 10 years ago. Sure. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, because there was much, there was fewer miniature games and it wasn't a thought then because like everyone does it inherently. And back when like 40 K first dropped and stuff like that, like there wasn't really a competition for that kind of thing. Mm-mm. So you just kind of like, you just were like, Oh, this is this epic grand battle on there. And like the, the thought stopped there cause it didn't need to go further. But now that there's all of these systems and all these models and all these intricate designs, like you don't have squads of 30, you know, space Marines that look all the same anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, now you have crews that could be 10 to 30 models that they're all unique. 
So I think it's kind of it's now it's a really important aspect of a war game. If you yeah. don't have that in your war game, I think you're really missing missing a, a key element to the cell. Agreed. Wow. That's good insight, Ray. All right, Paul. What's uh, what's your first game? Uh, my first game, I am going to go with the other side. And I don't think we talked about my other side thing coming into this, did we? So this might be a surprise. Yep. Right? Or did I say it? I never got it. It is. Okay. No, you didn't. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're, we're gonna find out one way or another. <laughs> okay. So spill the beans, son. All right. So, so for me, uh, I think one of the best things of uh, the other side is the stratagem deck. Mm. Right, because it is it is fairly unique to to the other side, right? Because you have essentially a, a deck of six cards that you're building, and you're able to purchase them throughout the game for quite a powerful in-game effect. Um, you know, the gibbering jib- hordes that I'm I'm playing, we can summon more units, we can create more terrain. Um, so it, it, it puts you at a, a major tactical decision making point on which cards you're going to use. And I guess it ties into the fact that there are so many, um, uses for tactics tokens in that game. And that's another place where you're, you're thinking about using them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, t- it's a big commitment and you have to show your opponent the one you buy too. Exactly. So it's, a, so it's, it's a not a surprise. Commitment. Right to them right. when you're like, oh, this is this is what I'm I've, I've got. Right, so you have. To it might be it. a surprise when you use it. Right, but when you, you use it, but it. they know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and to to kind of just to add on to that for the for anyone who's not played it yet or hasn't been able to read the rules yet, uh, you mentioned tactics tokens are used for a lot of things. One of those things is drawing your hand size. Mm-hmm. That is true. So. So like it's re- like really uh, I totally agree with what you're saying. Really drives home the point here is that when you buy a stratagem, they're like three and four costs sometimes, three, four, five costs. Like that means you're not getting cards that turn because you bought a stratagem instead. Or you're not reflipping things you didn't like. There's like lots of things that you're not doing when you're buying those cards. So you got to make use of them when you buy them. Correct. Yeah. If if you're buying them and you're not using them. That's a, That's a bad huge choice, waste, right? Because you mm-hmm. could have yeah. got cards or, or used them for all the different things that they're used for. But the other thing that's really fascinating about this is it also factors into a catch-up system built into the game. Because when you're losing, when you're you have less victory points than your opponent, all of your stratagems cost one less. One less. Mm, yeah. yeah. Right. So that gives you more things that you're able to do with those tactics tokens. If your your twos are coming down to a one, right? You Agreed. might be able to get yep. two of them or, you know, yep. you, you get that, that stratagem that you really wanted to use. And another thing that that's worth noting here is that the factions in, in the other side are big, but they're not like Malifaux big. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And, but however, the, your choice of tactics cards is pretty wide. 
because you have your general ones and you also have your faction specific ones and you have to, you can only bring six. Yep. So that's yeah, like one like... way to bring a lot of customization to your army is the six, ta- the six uh, stratagem cards you actually build and bring into your list. And now I, w- and, one, and a couple of those cards give victory points too. That's right. Some... Yep. Yeah. The so that's, King's a, that's Empire another especially. consideration. Yep. And I, I'm not a big fan of having to go through the deck building process. Like I know chops, you love doing that. Um, it's it's not my thing, but I enjoy building the stratagem decks. But it's yeah, it's only six cards, and if and I, I we have been playing, and I, I guess this is my prop. I'm going to sound dumb here to people who've played it. We've been playing it where after you declare your factions, that's when we've built our stratagem decks. Like when mm-hmm. we're playing, we didn't we didn't pre bring them. We've built them sort of the same way you build crews in Malifaux. So you know what you're playing, and then you build the stratagem deck. That might be wrong, and I might have to correct I that. Don't remember offhand, to be honest. I don't remember offhand either. But now I'm really kind of curious because I'd love to know if you do have that tactical information before you build your deck. Yeah. Hmm. Um. But yeah, so that's that's a, a I couldn't agree more with your your choice on a, a thing that's amazing about the other side. Yeah, and and it's it's very unique. Like there's other games like Shadespire that have deck building aspects to it, but just the mm-hmm. way this affects the game and the fact that you can get them cheaper if you're losing, because I think one of the important things in in war games right now, especially, is that you never quite you should never feel like there, you have no way to win, right? Unless everything's just going catastrophically wrong, which is should be infrequent, right? I mean, it, it'll happen, but it shouldn't be all the time, right? It should be right. few and far between. Um, so you should feel like you have a way in, and the tactics tokens can, can help you get that important thing that you need to do or that accomplish or a victory point um and swing the game for you it definitely is one of those things like uh i just recently started playing kill team and uh they they have something similar in there where you have like uh i I don't think they're called stratagems but maybe they are they do have stratagems Um, in there they do have stratagems in there and uh, and they they use tactic tokens to, to play them but it's not the same it's not like how the other side does but um, regardless, the the kind of the point there is that that was one of those things where it's like I looked at it and I was like, oh, this this is a reason why I would play Kill Team is this, and likewise, that's a reason why other side I really enjoy is because of that, like no, you know, and that carries over more than you think in Kill Team because in Kill Team the specializations you take along with the faction you pick generate the the stratagems you can play. So right, that is right. true. All right. So, so Chops, uh, were you were you going to piggyback on the other side? Yeah, I guess so. I guess we'll just go back and forth that yeah. way. I will piggyback on the other side, and I will say that my my choice for the other side is actually the way that you calculate damage uh, is I think very unique in uh, in the other side. There's not a game that works exactly like this, and so the way that this this happens in the other side is what's called the penetration flip. Uh, and the thing you need to understand to, to go into this is that every uh, attack has a has essentially a power level, right? An attack value that it brings in. Uh, and 
what, what you're going to, or a strength, right? And so the way that you calculate damage in the other side is you take your strength and you flip a card off the top of your fate deck, and then you add that number to the strength and compare that to the armor value of the model that you're attacking. And if you meet or exceed it, you do a damage. And the thing to know about this game is that every damage kills a model. Uh, and the thing that really sets this off is that every increment of five higher than the opponent's armor, you do an additional damage. So if you have a high strength attack against a low armor target, which is actually very rare, mm -hmm. but if that does happen, you can potentially wipe out entire fire teams by doing two or three damage. Um, and, and, and this sort of damage mechanic and the way that it like seesaws back and forth is uh, unlike anything I've ever experienced uh, in a war game. And the other thing to know as an opponent facing this is that, uh, or I should back up into to the fact that you can cheat this flip if you have a full strength fire team that you're attacking with. And cheating means playing a card out of the hand that you're, you have. So you might be able to increase the amount of damage you're doing. But if you've lost even one model in the fire team that's attacking, you can no longer cheat. So uh, this it, it, it causes you to make these really painful tactical decisions where you might be looking at a fire team that's only got one model left and you might really want to wipe it off the table. But at the same time, you don't want to take a charge from that that model squad because they have two other full strength units and those units can cheat penetration flips so they have to make this agonizing decision between taking a fire team down or pinging a fire team off so that they can't cheat penetration flips against you uh and it just the sort of decisions that it forces a player to make that you don't think about on first blush from reading the rules is amazing yeah, that's actually one of my favorite aspects of the other side is the penetration flip. Um, mostly because of the fact that what it does is it allows you to it, – it's an elegant way of differentiating defense values between units without rolling it into one singular stack. Agreed. So if you've got, you've got these units who are high defense, low armor, it gives a perspective of what that unit is. And likewise, if you have a, a unit that's you know low defense, high armor – you know, like the king's hand. It's I think slow. It's, defense, it's slow. It's defense three, but it's armor 12. So very you know? hard to hit it, to do damage and like, to it. Right. So when you're looking at doing, you know, strength three, four hits, that means you need to be flipping an eight plus out of your deck, which means most of the time you're not going to actually get through. You're actually, it's actually, and so that again, creates that tactical awareness of, okay, maybe I need to keep these cards in hand so that I can deal damage to this thing. Cause I got to get that Titan off the table. Yep. And that's in contrast to a model that's defense seven armor six, which you think is like lithe and fast and it's hard to hit, but when you connect, you're going to hurt it. Mm -hmm. You're going to hurt it real bad, which I run into a lot with my cultist actually. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's my thing for the other side. So now I think uh, we've I've gone twice and Ray hasn't gone, so uh, it's Ray's turn. Yeah, sorry about well, making you piggyback uh, on the other side there. <laughs> no, it's nah, all that's good. cool. It made sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of sort of piggyback on the other side and stick with weird uh, and go. Mine first one is going to be Malifaux, which is Weird's other major miniature property and the best and, miniatures game in existence. Uh, I, uh, opinion based. Yes. But an opinion <laughs> I happen to very strongly share. Um, 
the th- I would say if I was going to try to sell Malifaux to another war gamer, the biggest thing for me, and actually I'm changing my answer from what I told you guys initially. You bastard. And I am. Uh, it's going to be actually the chess-like alternating a- activation thing. And I'm going to mention that because I want to draw a little bit more attention to it. Because we kind of take that for granted now, I think, as war gamers, because a lot of miniature games recently have been coming out doing alternating activations. But I feel like Malifaux was kind of like it was the one that put that concept on the map was kind of that followed by Guild Ball um, were the two companies that really did that. Um, so it, like specifically a lot of war gamers in, in our meta here are like 40 K and war machine players. And that is not alternating activation. There have been some products that have come out from those companies that now incorporate that, but that is not how their primary games work. Their primary flagship properties. And so that would be probably the first thing I would mention is that you don't have this whole, I have a hundred dudes on the table or I have 40 dudes on the table. If you're playing war machine hordes, what have you. Um, and they're all going to activate before you get a chance to do anything. It's no, we've got 10 models on the table. I'm going to activate one. Now you're going to get to reply to that. And the chess like aspect of Malifaux and games that have come since then or alongside of it, you know, Guild Ball, et cetera, have been, absolutely stunningly amazing and revolutionary for me in miniature wargaming. But I'm, I'm going to give it to Malifaux because I think I, I, I'm not hundred percent certain, but I think Malifaux was one of the first to do it, but it was my first introduction to alternating activations. So it gets the nod there. Yeah. I, I, that can't be understated. Uh, I, I didn't even think about mentioning that as a, as a selling point for Malifaux because it's so deeply ingrained in how that game plays and a lot of games do it now, like you noted. But I almost play no I go you go games because I don't they, I don't anymore. Yeah, they leave a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, and you're right, Malifaux has a lot to contributing to that trend, and it's br- one of the best trends in wargaming in general. Yeah. And like, and don't get me wrong, I, I love Warhammer 40k. I've done, I've looked at a lot of the newer stuff that's been coming out. I'm probably going to get back into it. Um, I never stopped liking War Machine Hordes, and I really want to get my uh, Kador back on the table for the motherland. Um, <laughs> but uh, but when I look at those games, I go, I know I'm going to be missing that that alternating activation it's so pivotal to wargaming for me now and uh i do like amateur design for for games and stuff and and that was like that's like was the first thing that really hit me like you know if i'm going to start designing something it's got to be alternating activation because it's that it's that critical now yeah i'm actually working on a game right now that is alternating activations well and and it goes back to uh, what you were saying before, Chops, talking about Bushido and how, how that functions. And it's about staying engaged in the game. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you, with an alternating activation, that's all the more often that you're making decisions and you're active in the game. Right? War Machine, you know, there's there's huge chunks of time where you're, you're doing nothing but writing down damage and taking models off the table. And that's your engagement. Yep. And, and there's a middle ground too, to that, which is the gates of Antares and bolt action and conflict 47 system, which is pulling dice from a bag and activating that way, uh, which is also cool and better than, I think better than full I go, you go, but yeah, alternating activations is the way. Yep. 
All right. Who, All right. All right. Who wants? I think it swings back, back to you, Paul. What's that? Back to me. Sw- mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I'm going to talk about Guild Ball. I like that idea. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Guild Ball. I'm gonna piggyback off you from. Sweet. Your- so we'll get you yep. going two and two in a row. But my thing with Guild Ball is, and and this would be very important to me to sell it to other war gamers is the fact that from the ground up from the very first day they started working on that game it is designed to be for competitive play Mm. so since it has that mindset in the core engine of the game it has got to be the tightest rule set out there it is definitely the antithesis to beer and pretzels yes Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you know, just just everything about that game screams precision, clarity, and ease. Yeah, I, I've said it before. It's the heir apparent to War Machine and Hordes. I have no interest in playing War, War, War Hordes because I can play Guild Ball. Yeah. And I feel like I get a lot of the same feeling from it. You do, and and I don't. I don't get my stompy bots. I do not get my stompy well, bots. Just, not yet. You're just gonna have to play the miners then. The miners have. Yeah, next iron. year you get one. Yeah, that that's ridiculous. That we're not even gonna get into that. I cannot believe there 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 is no way that model would be allowed on the. Pitch. I know. Agreed. I, I know. Sorry. Agreed. I, I, it sucks and I hate it. I know. I know. It's, I hate it. Oh, so it's much. so bad. I'm like, you can't even play soccer with it. At least like. Colossus and other people, you can, but, can but kick guys, a ball. Can, yeah, so, can, it fits in there somehow. But a giant, we're selling people on Guild Ball. It's super, it's a super tight sorry. rule set. I know it's a super it's a tight. tight rule set, and and no matter what they they put out for it, everything's been and the, extremely clear and and easy to learn and easy to work with. I say, you want to know the most amazing thing about it to me to piggyback on to, to your point is that it is so intuitive. Like mm-hmm. when, when I was first learning guild ball, I, you know, w- when I would want to do something, I would look up in the rules and I go, Oh, of course that's how it works. Right. Like everything works the way you would expect it to work, which is amazing when you contrast that against the fact that it's like this extremely tight competitive rule sets, amazing feat of rule writing. It's kind of one of those things where it's almost like, you know, made for gamers by gamers. You oh, know? absolutely. It, I mean, it is yeah. because basically, I mean, they started making that game because they sat around going, I wish Privateer Press would have done this rule this, this way. And they're like, well, instead of just bitching about Privateer Press, let's do it that way. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah. And that, and I abs- and I'll absolutely agree with you. It's like, so uh, we mentioned, uh, uh, Chops and I mentioned earlier and even even with my clarification of opinion, that Malfo is the best miniatures game out there right now. But but hands down, I will absolutely agree with you that the rule set of Guild Ball is the best rule set yep. in miniatures gaming. Right yeah, it's now. the tightest and most clear. There's I, I Absol- won't argue absolutely. that. Uh, absolutely, and, and it's because the intention right off the bat was to make it a competitive gameplay. Well, I mean, and that kind of makes sense when you think about it. And, like, again, here goes the headcanon commentary. Like, you're playing a sports game. We're playing soccer with full tackle and bloody brass knuckles. 
So it makes sense that like from a game that in its inherent design is hyper competitive, that you are going to have to make a super tight rule system for it. It's like there's a little bit of fudge that can kind of be expected in other miniature games. When you look at like, oh, I have a field of like 200 minis on the table and they're going to shoot at each other. It's like, or I've got big stompy bombs that are going to charge in and they're going to ping off each other's armor. There can, there almost feels like there's a little bit of wiggle room to be had there because, you know, it's giant stompy bots swinging at each other like how can it be clean but when you think about soccer football Mm -hmm. you know like this is the tightest rule set we're going to get there's only two things that can happen here ball goes in goal or you go off field Mm -hmm. so it's got to be it's got to be perfect and and they they hit it out of the park and and, and here's the other thing too right chops you're sitting there wearing your chicago fire shirt Mm mm-hmm when you play guild ball, and if you're a, a football fan or a soccer fan, it's easy to visualize what you can watch at a game and what's happening on the pitch of guild ball. That's true. Oh, and there, there's even some tactics that are sound and work that you can actually translate into playing guild ball. Yep. Yep. And, and that, I mean, I go into soccer games here I, after playing guild ball, I'd be like, Oh, he's pushing. Oh, look, he's dodging. You know, <laughs> just like, oh, there's the screamer. He rolled two sixes. Yep. Right. <laughs> and that's and again, that again, that goes back to that whole that creative uh, narrative in gaming where it has to exist. And that is the beauty of the competitive rule set, the competitively and clean rule set of Guild Ball is that it fuels that. That that narrative, that creative narrative, while still being a hyper competitive, clean, crisp, tight rule set. Yeah. And that's such a hard balance to strike. And only a couple of games get that balance really on the nose. And Guild Ball definitely hits that balance pretty, pretty much with a perfect 10. Nails it. Yeah. So for my thing for Guild Ball um, is is actually a specific aspect of that clean clear rule system for me if i'm going to sell this game to another guy it's like you know a lot of a lot of miniature games are dice based and this one is dice based as well what i'm going to sell is the playbook system the damage and game effect system which is so beautifully elegant in its execution that i cannot stand it because you look at games like war machines where you get a car and the card has the unit stats, and then you, you got your stuff. And then that's all they can do. They can run, they can charge, they can stab you with their spear. You know, they can shoot you with a gun. But then you look at, like, Malifaux, and, like, Malifaux has got a unique card for each independent model, and they have, like, 20 things on that card, depending on the model, that they're going to do and interact with other things. And then there's Gilball, which is kind of somewhere in the middle of that, where you're going to get two to three abilities on the front of that card you're going to get two to three on the back of that card that are all you know generally speaking very flavorful flavorful for that model flavorful for that faction and then you're going to get this playbook that is depending on how well you hit determines how good your result is it's a scaling system that is clean and unobtrusive so if you only get one hit, you don't get quite as good a success as you might get going further into your playbook with five hits. And the way that they've been able to display that on the card without it being confusing is amazing to me. 
Yep. Yeah. It's, it really is remarkable. And it, this, for a person like me too, it, you know, it, I'm constantly looking at my models and going, okay, if I'm going to be playing, if I need, if I need uh stave to do something, I want him to get a knockdown. Right. And, and I don't know what season four stave does, but we'll say he knocks down on two. Uh, and I'm tack five. I'm thinking, all right, I only need two successes on five dice. I'm attacking someone that's got four plus armor. And instantly I can do that calculation in my head. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to roll five dice. I've got, you know, a 33% chance to roll success. Or at that point, you've got a a 50% chance on each of those five dice. If I'm rolling five of them, pretty good odds. I'm going to roll two and knock them down. And, you know, again, you're always at the mercy of the dice, but you roll those dice as you tabulate your successes. And I've got, maybe I've got four successes on those five. And now I'm like, Ooh, do I really want to knock them down? Or do I yeah, want to look, do I want to do do I wanna look two steps up in the playbook and maybe do something a little better? Um, so it is fascinating. It's, it's, it's yeah, it, it's so good. And that's, and that's not even taking into the fact of, uh, being able to build momentum off of that playbook too, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, that's not even, decisions. that's a, that's a whole other can of worms yeah. that like, you know, we, we, we'd have to describe the system basically to kind of yeah. get that across as well as we need sure. to. But suffice it to say that it's like, there is so much tactical elegance and tactical flexibility with this playbook system that honestly, I kind of wish more games did st- similar things to that. Yeah, and a very, very common thing you see in mini gaming nowadays. And like I'm, I'm just starting to look at Arkham at the Arkham Knights miniature game. Um, I'm starting and I'm looking at Wild West Exodus and you see this kind of thing still happen where you have independent abilities listed and you kind of have to learn the rules for each of these keywords and each of these abilities. It's kind of like playing Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. where like you kind of have to understand the full suite of core keywords that magic brings. And then every time a new set comes out, there's a, uh, there's a bevy of new keywords mm-hmm. and new reminder text of abilities that have been introduced to make things fresh. Now apply that to models in a game and every single model has, a, it has that. And it just, it can be overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. So to be able to look at Gilball and go, okay, we have four things that are common things. We have damage, we have push, we have dodge, we have tackle. You know, and oh, and guilt and uh, and play and the knockdown, yeah, knockdown. So you got six things that's it, those six things. Everybody in the game does those six things. Now, how well you have to hit to get that thing is different from each model, and, and then some models can and can't do something, yeah, and then some models can and can't do that. Like this little person over here, this person can't do a knockdown, they might be able to tackle the ball really well because they just slide between your legs and just you know, snatch, snatch it from you, but they're never going to tackle you down. Whereas big brute Stave, like you says, like he's just going to lumber over and like, oh, I barely have to hit you and you're on the ground. Yeah. It's just, it creates so much flavor. It's like the headcanon for, <laughs> and there's that word again, I told you it's the buzzword of the show. <laughs> the headcanon that playbooks, the playbook system generates is just magnificent to behold. Yeah. And you can look at each faction and go and look at their playbook and go, I don't even need to see the rest of the abilities of the faction just based off of what I see on these playbooks. I have an idea of how this faction works. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's that you nailed it. 
That's it. And the other thing too is player agency, right? Cause you roll the, do- you roll the dice and you have choices mm-hmm. and player agency is so important in games, in, in board games, in card games and everything. Any game. Right. And this, that this system gives you more player agency than any other action resolution mechanic. I think I can say that like bold face. I don't think there's anything, any other action resolution mechanic in any other war game that gives you as much agency after you've rolled the dice. Yep. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, because and if and if there is someone, leave a comment on these guys. Yeah, please, please light us up so that we can find this game because we want to play it. (laughs) Yeah, we want to play this game. If there is a game that is even better than Gilbol at at action resolution, we we need to know about it. Yeah, for sure. Right, because because yeah, I, I mean, just about every other game that we play, you know, you're deciding what your action is before you roll the dice. Right. Yep. And then 100%. your dice just determine how well it, the outcome. The happens. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, or if, if, it happens, if it happens, right? Whereas in this, it's, just, it's usually binary, right? Exactly. Right. And then, and then, but in this, you're choosing what's happening based on your results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, mean, pretty... I mean, I've known that, but to hear it out loud, it's like holy shit! Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's really great. Basics on it. It's kind of like. It, yeah, it's like it's like playing a D and D game, except instead of when you roll your D twenty instead of it just saying, Okay, now roll your damage, it's like, okay, so what's your degree of success? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're gonna determine how well you actually screwed this little goblin. Right. Yep. You're hitting the goblin, but Which did it, you slit his throat or did you just, you know, stab him yeah. in the lungs? What'd you do? Yeah, did you just like hamstring him? Did you take a point of damage because you stabbed his pinky toe? <laughs> I mean it's like you know, and it's like, and and that's something, and that's how games like that kind of try to drive player agency a little bit. It's like you you can choose your weapon, mm-hmm. and like you know, your weapon has a has a different spread of dice and stuff like that. But when you get to a miniature game, um, Warhammer and Fantasy, 40k and Fantasy do this, where you can kind of choose your armaments. But not a lot of games necessarily allow that kind of armament choice. It's you get what's on the card, right. and you might have a piece of equipment you can purchase, but kind of the core is what's on that card. So when you're able to create such a robust system and it's still on the car, mm-hmm. you don't need anything else. God damn, like, it. That's, God damn just... it, Ray. I didn't want to print cards for my rat catchers. And now I feel like yes, I have to you, go get yes, some season do. four cards. Yes, you do. <laughs> but it's like, it's so seriously, like think about it. Like think of how many games we play that have modifiers to their base card because there was only so much information they could put or they were trying to increase flexibility. And like we see it with Weird. We see it with game, uh, Citadel or Games Workshop. We see it with Privateer Press. We see it with Infinity where you buy equipment, where mm-hmm. you buy upgrades, where you take uh, assets, where you buy war gear. Mm-hmm. You don't need any of that None in Gilball because it's all rolled into the playbook system inherently. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's so brilliant. good. It's so good. Beer in a bottle, brilliant. Oh, damn. All right. Yeah. Podcast done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we still Gil got more Ball. to talk about. Yeah, Gil we got Ball. more to talk about. Yeah, Guild Ball's a very good game. Yeah. And now I'm like seriously regretting having not played it for a year. It's <laughs> so good. I got Butchers. Uh, so, so true story. Um, I approached my buddy Jim. Who I talked about uh, briefly in the friend last podcast. Friend of the show, Jim. Yeah. Friend of the show, Jim. Wonderful man. Um, he's letting me borrow his butchers for season four because I'm very, very sad about the Brewers, which is who I play. 
Oh, the, um, the butchers are so good. Oh, I have. I, 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 I saw the butchers, dude, and I'm like, I gotta play these guys. And Jim was like, Well, I have butchers I'm not using. You can borrow them. I'm like, Please. Yeah. It's Merciful the, uh, gods, let me. It's the only team that I own every model available, and they're all painted. Um, but yeah, they're they're great. Well, I guess it's also rat catchers. I have, but that's I've significantly less models. It's only eight yeah. models. Yeah. I've heard really good things about rat catchers. They're, they're so janky. They're so janky. They're fun to play. I mean, that's what's that's the point, though, right? Yep. So, Paul, what's your what's your third one? Uh, my third one is uh, the apple of my eye currently, and that's Wild West Exodus. Uh, yes. yes, Cowboys versus Cowboys aliens. versus aliens. Uh, I I hope you get your aliens together soon, so this way. Uh, I, me, me too. Yeah, yeah. The the watchers want to come do more than just watch you. <laughs> yeah, I I'd, I'd like to get you out there and, and giving that a go. Um, but if if I'm selling Wild West Exodus to another war gamer, I'm going to be talking about the uh, adventure cards. Right, the the guts mm. and glory cards because to me right. that is the most unique thing about the game and there's a lot of unique things about Wild West Exodus. <laughs> there there are a ton of things that they do that no other game does. However, the action the the adventure cards are where it's at. To be able to have a, a six, five cards in your hand if you're playing a fifteen hundred point game, which is kind of the standard size that you can look at and say, okay, I can either use these cards to make my activations better, you know, whether it's more action points, refilling your fortune, um, stealing initiative, taking uh, 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 linking activations together, right, or, or even uh, upgrading abilities, your stats. Mm-hmm. Or you flip them over, and it's telling you how you can gain more victory points, right? It's almost like a mini Malifaux in that way, where you have your strategy that everybody's sharing, or your adventure, as they call it in Wild West Exodus. And you have five other ways that you could get five more points each turn, right? And they yeah, have- I've described it. I've described it to other Malifaux players as you think of them like schemes, but if it turns out you can't score the scheme. You can use it for something else. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like suddenly getting another soul stone. Yep. I mean, that's exactly, exactly what it is. It's like, okay, I'm either going to have this, this constant rotational scheme that is going to trigger when I accomplish whatever's on there, or if I don't think I can accomplish it, I flip it over, and now suddenly I have another action point, and I can do more, right? They're mm-hmm. – they're, uh, um, you know, bolt-ons to your ability, right? You're you're adding on, you're you're making those abilities better. So it, it creates that that decision making. And and if you listen regularly, I always talk about you know tactical decision making and how important that is. And that's constantly making you analyze these decisions. Which side, which half of that card am I going to use? Am I going to use yeah. the guts or am I going it's, to use the glory? Because a lot of the times it's possible to use both. And that's the agony is figuring out which one is better for the scenario that you're currently finding yourself in. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, when I'm playing that game and I find a card that I can use one or the other, that's like a relief. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm not going to have to make that decision. Uh, yeah. I can't score this one, but I can use the other. That's side. right. Like I'm, yeah. there's no way I'm going to shoot any hand of their hands off the table. 
but I'll gladly take that action point. Yep. You know, and, and that's not, that does sound amazing. And, and, and that's it's just, so it, good. it is. And that's, it's like when we were talking about, um, uh, God, what the hell were we talking about now? I don't even know, but just, uh, just, <laughs> just that, that microcosm, you know, of the, the decision-making and how that affects the game right there in that small bit. I think it was back when we were talking about Malif or uh, other side in the stratagem cards. Right. So just the, just those decision-making that you have there, um, you know, just really, and, and then from there it really affects everything else, right? Like, are you winning? You know, there's some scenarios that are uh, adventures that I'm, as I'm learning more about Wild West Exodus, they're always going to be close. And essentially it's going to come down to who's, who's using their guts and glory cards better. Most of, yeah, I would say, you know what we talk about also another thing you, you mentioned tactical decision-making. We all, we also harp on resource management a lot. And I think these cards are one of the most fascinating resources in any, any miniatures game because it's a resource that can be used in two such opposed, but important ways. And it's uh, this one single resource is really fascinating system. I really like the fact that like, and I say this a lot when I'm talking to people about tactics and strategy, like if I'm trying to like help someone uh, uh, pilot something, you know, a little stronger or figure out how to unlock a strategy or a stratagem is your, you, the, the goal of your game is to ask your opponent um, questions that are difficult to answer and having a resource that it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because it's asking you a difficult mm -hmm. question that you have to answer. But mm -hmm. having a resource that can that flips like that gives you so much more, and we use this term with Guild Ball, it gives you so much player agency mm -hmm. about asking those important questions of your opponent. Mm -hmm. Because you play out of you know that victory point condition of it because you you know like you said you're like let's say you could sh shoot their hand off the table and you do and then boom you got those victory points you've just asked a very important question of your opponent of how are you going to react going down not only losing your hand but now your opponent scored victory points off of that versus the counter to that being you didn't think i was going to be able to get into you this turn because i didn't have enough action points but here's this bonus action point that's going to let me do that how are you going to respond to that now it gives a really like weird, intricate, and uh, high skill ceiling way of asking your opponent difficult questions. And I personally love that. Agreed. And again, that headcanon aspect of it, it's just kind of like, you know, almost like, you know, your guys like, you know, sh get that lucky shot, shoot that one guy out the table, and everyone's like, yeah, you know, score points. Ha -ha! Yep. You know, it's like, so I, I think it even fits into that flavor mechanic, you know, the creative, uh, the creative reenactment inside your head. So it's just a win-win all over the well, place. I, I, yeah. I think when we finally get your, your Wild West Exodus stuff on the table, I think you're going to find that this is the most cinematic game out there. Uh, I'll, I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, I mean I'm I, going to agree And I think Malifaux is a pretty fucking cinematic game, but this I, takes I would argue, I would argue that Infinity deserves to be in that list too, but... Yeah, it's. Uh... I, I can't endorse Infinity because I can't endorse memorizing a 500-page rule set just that's, to be able to play a game. That's fair. It's super cinematic, though. It, yeah, yeah, you're, it you're right. It does have a lot of cin cinematic. cinematic. Yeah. Okay. 
but I, super cinematic. I, I still think there's some, but it's infinity. There's, there's, there's yeah, Wild West Exodus is very it's it's and in my opinion, Wild West Exodus also has like the, fortune is also one of my favorite resources to manage in any miniatures game. So it, it's got a lot of good stuff going for yeah, it. Yeah, and and you know it it creates that that headcanon, but I I think with the way that in I don't know. I guess Wild West Exodus kind of ends up with almost that same ARO effect that uh, Infinity has, but just putting it out there in different places. And it comes down to to spending fortune and being able to react to what your opponent's doing really helps that cinematic appeal of it because you're not waiting 20 minutes to be able to react to it. You're able to react to it right then. Oh, you're going to charge me. All right. I'm going to spend these two fortune. I'm now going on the lookout. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you hell and I'm going to shoot you on your way in, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they have the option of being like, all right, well I have quick and the dead. So I'm going to avoid your shots on the way. in, even though that's going to put me at minus one to hit you. So, I mean, you, you, and, and you can very much see that, you know, somebody you know, with some knives running at somebody with a gun and them going, oh, shit, somebody's coming at me and trying to get that quick shot off. Yeah, but I, I kind of, uh, in my head, and I don't think this is going to ever go away, in my head, Wild West Exodus is kind of a mix between Trigun and XCOM. Yeah, it totally is that. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'll give you that. I don't know if there's a direct representation of Vash. <laughs> In Wild West Exodus, but it's no, definitely but like the war- he, it's definitely in the universe for sure. But you know how like he goes like people start shooting at him and like he's either in one of two modes of either frantically like oh my god, but then there's those god <laughs> modes where yeah. he's running at somebody and they're shooting and he's just like vanishing. Yeah, I kind of imagine someone with the quick and the dead is like that. He's just running at you with a couple of knives and some poor bastard is just sitting there going shit fire oh, fire, yeah. fire and he's just <laughs> yeah. I mean if, if you've if you've got your boss and you flip a five, you flip your you somehow flip your five and that and your boss has his full cash of fortune he's gonna have a vash to stampede turn he's gonna wreck right. shit all over the place right exactly well, so it's like that's that's the part i'm looking forward to most if you can gamble with jesse time. james and you get the five and he ends up with no limit holy fucking no. yeah just I, I feel like i feel like i can play jesse james as the watchers right with my mimic yeah guy. absolutely yeah your, that's one your of the mimics guys can he... be anybody in the game whether they're on right, the table or, can... or not, unlike the uh, yeah. in Malifaux, you have to copy the abilities from people on the table. You're just like fuck this. The, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have so much fun with that. It's it's so there's so much jank with. That. I know that's what terrifies me, but that's good. You got to help get me ready for Adepticon. <laughs> all right, so so, so thinking ahead, you guys also share. I I think it's our last one. This is this the last, is the last game. one. Good, yep, we have one I game to talk Chops about. Close his eyes. So um, it's a good thing. So, you want to go first, then shops? I'll go lull you to sleep with my dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, so the last game on the list is Warhammer Underworlds, which is a little bit cheating because it's more of a board game than a miniatures game. But it's a behind. hybrid, as we talked about before. <laughs> it's in the middle. It's in the middle. Uh, but my my it's got favorite miniatures. Part... It's a game. It's a miniatures game. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So. Aside from the fact that one of the biggest selling points for me, like looking at other war gamers, is like pretty low barrier to entry if you're not playing super competitively, and also super short play time. That's two like really obvious things that don't need a lot of note. Uh, right. The other thing that I love to talk about is the power step, because the power step becomes one of the most important parts of this game, 
as you learn how to play it better. Uh, and what the power step is, is in between each activation of which there are, so there's three rounds in a game of Shade Spire, and each player has four activations per round, so it's 24 turns total. In between each turn, you have a power step, and in that power step, you can play ploy or upgrade cards out of your hand, and you get to play them, and your opponent gets to answer. And these ploy cards are sort of like the... That it, to me, it's like the glue that holds the game together because you can play like a crucial upgrade before a turn that your opponent, like your opponent may have positioned in a way that they thought they were safe, but they didn't know you had that upgrade in your hand and you slide that upgrade in during the power step and then just fuck their world up. Um, but, all, you know, conversely, that can happen back to you. Like you might have positioned yourself onto three objectives and then your opponent's like, ah, uh-uh, earthquake, move all your guys off those objectives. And now Dude. you're like, crap, I'm not going to be able to score any points. And like the, it creates you're talking about the headcanon. It creates so much drama because there's only 12 activations and everything you do. Uh, because you you know you only have twelve activations and everything you do is so important. Uh, these like ploys and upgrades screwing with you just it, it, it totally makes the game for me. So you, I, what's funny is that you mentioned the whole three objective earthquake thing. I literally had that almost happen to me in the last <laughs> Shade Spire game I played. You know I was playing Sepulchre Guard into Corn uh, Dwarves. I was playing into Dwarves. Uh, I forget what they're called. But um, he had, yeah, he had earthquake in his hand, and I had positioned everybody to do a chain, you know, chain uh, uh, objectives off of it, or chain. What are they called? The stupid victory point cards. Blanking. Don't remember the card. The whole thing that you score points with. Yeah, I'm also blanking on it. It, It's the cards that, that have the actual victory points on them. Right. So, but it's like your objective deck, but it's, but it's, the objectives are actually on the board and that deck is called something different. Right. But I had a couple of those cards ready to score and he didn't play it because we were kind of wrapping up the game anyways. And, but he showed it to me afterwards and I was like, oh my God, that card would have ruined my life. Because like you said, every turn is a clock. You've got 12 turns to -hmm. win the game. Yeah. 12. That's it. And those power cards, those ploy cards, those upgrade cards, those are the cards that actually win you the game. Like your your, your strategy on where you place your models and what you attack and stuff like that is obviously very important as well. Um, but properly constructing your ploy uh, deck is what's going to win you a game because having the answers to those questions that your opponent's going to ask you and tying back to what I was talking about before, this game is the epitome of asking questions and answering them. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about a game with a high skill ceiling too? Oh Jesus. my goodness! Oh my goodness! It's like probably more than any other game. You need to know the meta of this game to play it competitively. Mm-hmm. And because you, because you just need to know what your opponent can do. Like I didn't know Earthquake existed, so I'm like all here. Oh, I'm just gonna put my dudes on here and I'm gonna score five points. And it's like nope. It's it's glory too. I it it hit me. It's the glory deck and your glory cards. Right, yes. you score the points on. Um, but yeah, yeah, man, it, it's it, it. Like you said, b- properly constructing that deck makes or breaks it. So for me to piggyback off of Underworld in the same vein, um, 
I'm a, I have the other side of this coin. So for you, it's the power step. For me, it's the stuff you can build to get to the power step. So every card in Warhammer Underworld is basically unique. Like you get a couple of duplicates in the starter kits because so you can play with your buddies. Um, but every time you buy an expansion, which is a full faction, like it is a full playable, put it on the board tournament faction. Mm-hmm. Um, you get more cards to kind of add to your overall pool of cards. And then you're going to build two decks. You're going to build your glory deck and you're going to build your ploy deck. And every card in each of those decks is unique. That is crazy cool. It is one of those things that you don't really see in other games where you have, again, we're taught, we talk player agency, we talk head cannons, we talk, you know, all this, these types of things. Being able to choose how you win the game. Like, what game does that? Like, Malifaux right. kind of does something like that. Like, you're going to flip a strategy, and then you're going to flip schemes, and then you're going to choose a couple of schemes. And, like, yeah, other side, you got stratagems, and, like, you know, you got your adventure deck and what was. No, they, they say, screw all that. We're not going to give anything globally. If you want to win a game of Warhammer Underworlds, you have to build your win condition properly. And that is so bloody cool. And not only do you have to build your win condition properly, you have to build the deck that, like, the glue that holds your crew together that's going to score those glory. The way you do that is by building this other deck. And again, you've got to build your own win condition. So if you're movement-based, you got to put movement-based in there. If you're kill-based, you got to put kill-based in there. And, like, that player agency for how your crew is going to play is so, so neat. Especially considering that that mentality can goes across so many different factions, you know, depending on if you're playing dwarves or undead or, you know, storm knights or what have you. It's like they all might have overlapping things that you take similar styles of cards into, but not quite exactly. Right. You have, you have in, like player archetypes, but inside those right. archetypes, the factions like there are there the certain the, the, some of the factions can play into two or three archetypes like the the ranged based stormcast can play any one of the meta archetypes because right. of the the ways that they're designed um i had a really good point and i lost it i'm sorry and i derailed what you were saying <laughs> no you didn't derail it i mean that's the that's it right there it's just like all, all all the various things that you can do with that concept and i love the fact that there's no duplicates i love the fact that every card has a unique flavor a unique flair and there's there's like you said there's archetypes of cards Yep. And and the, another thing that's really cool to note about it is the competitive meta in this game is fascinating. Like, I'll say this. If you don't play Warhammer Underworlds, you should still be part of the Facebook group because the strategy discussions that happen and this this concept of people that are glass chasers because the organized play for Shadespire comes with glass trophies. And there mm. are people that, like, you know, they'll travel around to tournaments to try to win glass. Mm. Um you know, shade glass, right? It's super thematic that that's the trophy. But the um, the the thing is, is because of the fact that you have to build this deck um, and also because we're in the age of the internet where people like netlist 
people are going to expect you to play some. Like, so if you show up with Spike Claw Swarm, the the Skaven team, people are going to expect you to play a certain way. But you might like have found a combo that no one else has seen before, and you play it, and you still have that opportunity to surprise people in your local meta. And there aren't very many games like that. That like because the card pool is so expansive, um, and like just now uh, there was an errata that came out that restricted and banned some cards from competitive play and now all of a sudden the meta is just like completely reshifting people are making new decks playing factions in ways they've never played before and the the card system as you describe it and the fact that they have to you have to have 20 unique cards in one deck and 12 unique in a different it makes it so variable Uh, it's just it's a very 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 good system i kind of hope that they do the magic the, the gathering kind of thing with it where it's like the models themselves don't necessarily rotate out, but at like, you know, like the next time like a major Warhammer Underground set drops, like XYZ cards go. That's what it is. That's what it is. So they they drop certain cards that basically they're what was happening in the meta is that objective based play was sort of uh taken off the table in the meta because of two cards that existed that basically everyone took and it made it impossible to score objectives. Um, and the cards were also used. Hmm. Earthquake. Earthquake's (laughs) one of them. It is actually, it's a banned banned card now. You can't play it competitively, but then they've also got a cards on a restricted list and you can only have so many restricted cards in a deck. I think it's five. Yeah, it's five. Right. Yep. So out of the, out of the total set of restricteds, you can only take five of them in any given deck. Um, and so that shook the meta up entirely. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's so good. But yeah, so that's uh, that's the Underworlds. What do you think, Paul? Do you have any any? I know I tried to get you into it. Yeah, I mean, do you not do you not play Underworlds? Paul? I I do. I just you know I play lots of games. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those ones that I have and I want to play more. But you know, I I need to make sure that I'm bringing it every time I go out. So this way, when it's like, oh, there's like an hour left, I couldn't possibly play another Wild West or another Malifaux. I might as well play yeah. play Underworlds. So I, yeah, I just bought Zarbag's Gits, and I'm super excited to try them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just got them too. I got so. the I got the Zinch ones, and I'm I'm pretty excited about those. Uh, oh, I didn't know about those. Oh yeah, they're they're pretty interesting. Oh. So uh, yeah, I mean I like I, like I said earlier, I'm not a huge deck builder type. Um, right. So that's kind of like. Most likely, I'll... so this is kind of a barrier entry. Yeah, it's it, a it, little it, bit. Like I, I really like the game. It's just right now I'm going. I have to build a deck. What am I? What am I doing? I might just farm <laughs> that out to chops and be like, "This is what I want to. Pl- this is the team I'm playing. Uh, tell me what I should bring. Give me something good. Yeah. Give me something good. Yeah, because chops is more of a deck builder than than I ever was, but. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I used to play on the on the Magic Pro Tour. I never like made it bigger or anything like that, but I used to play the Pro Tour circuit. And so for me, deck building is huge. I love deck building. It is one of my most favorite mechanics in the world. So when someone said, "Hey, you should play Shadespire," I was still in my kind of GW mm-hmm. hate, and I was like, "Eh." And they were like, "You have to build a deck," and I was like, "Give it, give me, <laughs> give it to me now." Here's my sixty dollars. Mm-hmm. Please take it. Yeah, Just deck, take my deck, money and deck run. building and a game that can take a half hour. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, and miniatures that I can paint and they put together neat and clean and simple. Yep. Hells to the yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I liked it. the big thing for me is the the time on that 
you know, being able to play quick. Yeah. Um, that's that's worth it to me, it even even if I put together lands. a shitty deck just to be able to play. It plays faster than Gaslands, and that's fairly yeah. impressive because Gaslands plays pretty quick when you know what you're yep. doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, big god! Excuse me. All right, so that covers all of our games. Uh, we might have sold somebody somewhere on a game. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Play them yeah, all. Play, play every they're, game. It's good for you. They're, they're all worth Especially they're Bushido worth. and Malifaux. Yeah, and, and Wild West Exodus. Wild Exodus, yeah. Can't forget about that. And Gilball. Yeah, and basically <laughs> all the games, all the games that we talked about. Just play them all. All the games that we talked about. Yeah, if, it has, if you have any questions, send us questions. We'll answer them. We'll tell you why you should right. play it. That's right. If it has alternating activations, you should be playing it. But play Bushido because it's all Asian themed it's in and, and alternate history and monsters and cool stuff See, that's why wwx is great because it's you know Cowboys exactly aliens. yeah but but you can have but, a you can have a full tengu faction in in bushido which means you're playing all giant mythical birds i know which is awesome yeah but like in, in malifo you can play steampunk cyborgs that like you know with you know undead it's like <laughs> I mean, it's all the things. It's all the things. Just get yeah. them all. Just don't have a life anymore. Quit your job. Play well, miniature I, games. I mean, day. pretty much what what we've established, though, is regardless of what interests you in a game, there is a game out there for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, At yeah. least yeah, one. There's a miniatures, if not multiple. There's a miniatures game. There's a miniatures gamer game out there for every kind of game. That's right. Whether it's whether it's Frostgrave or Ma- whether it's Malifaux or whether it's Infinity, uh, whatever your proclivities are, there is a game that's at the level of like mental uh, preparedness that you want to put into it, um, and and also like hobby wise, right? Lots of games with like small miniature counts, like Relic Blade, where you only need three or four miniatures. So or find Shakespeare, one where you only get like three to five. Four, yeah, exactly. Unless, unless you pick a swarm, you know, in which case that's on you. <laughs> and then and then it's like eight or nine. Right. Yep. So yeah. or seven to nine. Anyway, but, yeah. Pick pick a but game. But I mean, even Do even it. to be fair to to what you're saying there, chops. You, you also have X Wing where your minis are already painted. Oh, you don't even have to paint them. Yeah, just find the game yeah. and play it. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So uh, that kind of sounded like our last thought. So I don't think I need to go around the horn and and ask that. Um, but but as we wrap up here, Ray, thank you very much for, for being on again. Um, thank plug you your site. Yeah, so, plug your yeah, site. Give us another plug. So our site is thirdfloorwars.com. You can find us on YouTube. Just search Third Floor Wars. We are going to be posting up some new painting videos. Craig Shipman, our, relevant, our, uh, our resident painting guru, is currently working on another video. I've got some tactics articles in the work and a tactics vlog I'm going to be starting up hopefully in mid-December. And then we've got some unboxing videos for the other side coming next week as well. So be sure to check us out, like, subscribe, and uh, of course, you know, give these guys as much love as you can too. And and if you haven't seen Craig's painting, you're in and for you, a treat. You, trust me on this, you want to learn from him. Yes, <laughs> like he is somebody yes. great to learn from. Uh, even if it's you know, he's he's helped me out with a ton of things. Just going, hey, how do I get this to work? And he he is one of the most gracious with his skills person that I've met in the hobby game yep. so far. And there's a lot of gracious people. Like it, there's a there's a Facebook group that uh, we're all kind of a part of, like hobby hangouts. I think is what it's called. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people there that are going to help you get better. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Craig is what just one of those guys who's like he's so free with his knowledge and he will answer any question he ha- he can. And it's just it, he's sensational. His paint jobs are absolutely exquisite as well. And uh, his first video that he dropped was uh, for the uh, Domador de Caravares uh, from Mal- from the Malaflow line. And uh, they're beautiful sculpts, and he's painting them up, uh, I believe, as the box art. But he just dropped the first video this past week, and he's dropping the next video. So go check him out. Um, they're only going to get better with time, and your painting skills will get better with his time. And speaking of hobby hangouts, if you become a Patreon supporter of us, you could potentially come and hang out with us as we hobby as well. So. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Thank you for that. So so go to our Patreon site, patreon.com slash three men in a war game, and check it out. We're out or in the new year we're gonna have some new additions on there too. So Discord chats and all that fun stuff. So support us. Love it. Yeah, it's it's a good way to uh make it so that we can keep doing this and we can keep talking about our favorite stuff. So Sounds good. Thank you yeah, guys for having thank me. You on. For, thank you for being on, oh, Ray. For coming we, on. we super appreciate it. Um, next week we'll have Potter back in his usual chair, um, with more things to talk about and we'll find out how he did on his, uh, Star Wars virtual reality, augmented reality or whatever you want to call it thing down in, in Florida that Chops and I did not get to do. So, oh, shucks. <laughs> um, so, so follow us on the social medias. Three men, uh, it's all at three men in a war game. It's the number, not the word. Uh, I already plugged the Patreon. Thanks to Static is the Thank city. you for Static in the City. Yes, thank you, Static <laughs> in the City, for the wonderful music at the top and bottom of the show. And uh, make sure you guys go check out uh, Third Floor Wars because uh, Ray and Craig are awesome. Thank you. So, bye. bye. Thanks for listening. Okay, we love you. Bye bye. <laughs> I think you're thinking of two in the hand is worth one. Yeah, that's One in the hand is worth two in the bush. I know it, Paul. in the can one in the something else (laughs) no no no